Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Paul Norton podcast. Now, today's podcast, I'm joined by the amazing Orla O'Flaherty. And Orla's actually been on my podcast before. And having Orla here again, absolutely amazing. I suppose, Orla, this is like second time having you on the, on the show. And I suppose, again, like always, rather than me explain who you are, do you want to give us a quick intro on who Orla is and what you do? Yeah, so the quick 30-second, uh, what is it, the elevator pitch that never lasts 30 <laughs> seconds for me because I waffle. Uh, so I am Orla Flaherty. I'm a naturopath and herbalist based in Galway in the west of Ireland. And I have been in clinic for the last, I, I think it's seven years. It may be longer. I'm not 100% sure. Um <laughs> So I've been practicing for the last yeah six, seven years and I started out working with all sorts of clients, anything from IBS, depression, anxiety, um, mood disorders a lot back in the day. And then I kind of moved or veered towards more female health, um, as you know yourself, Paul, from watching all my stuff, I'm very passionate about female health and wellness and I feel that it's a market that is only finally people are starting starting to talk about female health and wellness and it's only in the last 20 to 30 years where there's been proper studies done on female health and different female conditions the likes of endometriosis PCOS all these things uh, like PID pelvic inflammatory disease everything like that and then in the last 20 years we've seen that fertility has become a huge problem um if anything it, it, it's now being classed as an epidemic and my line of work is just trying to as a naturopath we we're always taught the first thing we were taught in in college was um as a naturopath your first job is to be a teacher so if we can give the information to people who are to women um about their own bodies about their own health then they're better equipped to to fuel themselves right and to get themselves healthy so that's kind of me in a nutshell just trying to help women with their periods their pms their pill issues their fertility ever everything like that nah so it's good to have you on this is going to sound like a really silly question but when you say naturopath what does it actually mean so a, nat- a naturopath it's literally just an umbrella term for different holistic modalities so like being a naturopath like we use for me because I'm a, a herbalist as well so I use herbal medicine plant-based medicine as my my first treatment protocol as well as nutrition and supplements and then looking at lifestyle factors because lifestyle plays a huge role in all of our health not just female health but everybody's health um especially the world that we're living in right now it's not just a matter of looking at just your food and just the plant-based medicine, because at the end of the day, especially like when I'm looking at plant-based medicine at the end of the day, it is symptomatic treatment. Like I, I'm treating people's symptoms to alleviate their symptoms, but it's, it's lifestyle that really kind of causes a lot of the problems or so environmental toxins, um, external stress, internal stress. Um, so a naturopath is literally just an umbrella heading for, everything that we can do in a holistic sense that's so good i'd like i'm probably guilty of this before like you know and so many people listening to this will be the exact same as that when they see or hear the word naturopath they just think of like you know something like wild and crazy and like oh i don't need to speak to that person but even for me like the more i learned even we had a chat just about your immune system the more 
I learn about natural approaches. It just blows my mind. And yeah. we were just talking before, like about your immune system, because I'm studying that as well. And like when so much people, I could be wrong now, but what I've learned is like, and I know from experience that like so much times, let's, let's say pandemic as an example, is so much people got sick and stuff. But then like when we look at like getting sick, I was saying before, like, you know, drinking isn't a bad thing, but a lot of time, like when, you know, if you're drinking alcohol, you know, it's a toxin. So your body has to fight off them toxins. So what happens is then, you know, your immune system goes away down the road, fights off these toxins. Then like it leads mm-hmm. you kind of open all these like flus and sniffs and puffs. And I know every time I'm out drinking, the next day I am like just sniffing, like to know mm-hmm. tomorrow. What, like, would that be something that's true? Or would you like, you know, yeah. on that a bit? No, a hundred percent. Like our immune system, it's it's what fights off fights off pathogens. Um, and it is again going back to the world that we live in right now with, it, with stress and everything. Our immune system, a lot of people's immune systems are compromised, and like that, the likes of alcohol. Now, don't get, I I I love my vino, so like <laughs> I, I'm not preaching here from my perch or my high horse or anything like that. Um. But we like the likes of alcohol and environmental toxins and the foods that we we put into us, they do compromise our immune system. And then the likes of different drugs and medications, they're there for a purpose and they're there when they're needed. The likes of antibiotics, if you if you have an infection, you do need an antibiotic. Now, there are the allopathic methods and then there's the um, the holistic methods of antibiotics um, like one, one, one of my quotes is let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food but in saying that if there comes a time where I have septicemia yes I'm, I'm going to take the penicillin so like you know there there's there's a place for everything but unfortunately with the with allopathic medicine it, it, especially antibiotics they wreak havoc on our on our guts and 80% of our gut is or sorry 80 percent of our immune system is produced within the gut so having good gut health is, is really the most important thing when we're looking at our immune system yeah i think it's man like i was in a doctor recently and the doctor we'd had a kind of kind of similar chat and like you know this is a quote from a quality doctor me as he just says himself like you know unfortunately he says like there's no money in healthy people and it's so true like it's and again it is it's probably something a bit controversial but it's so true like if everyone was to like be healthy you know have the good foods the good vitamins there'd be no need for any kind of like medication and it'd be just such a happy world and this is a doctor who said himself in australia like unfortunately there's no and it's such a sad statement the two but the more like if you look back like you know 50 years ago to now like it's just a different world like everyone like even with my job like people want quick fix they want to get fast results in like four weeks they want to this and this and this you know, they want to get sick, take medication, they want to, you know, take fat loss pills, but then they won't, like, do the basics. And I know from, especially this, this COVID, like, I had COVID, and, you know, I had a bit of a sniffle, and, you know, I know personally and that my immune system is in a quite a good place, and same as probably yourself or other people. Like, if your immune system's in a good place with, you know, the vitamins, they're doing all the right stuff, you know, trying to reduce stress, like yoga, stuff like that, it makes a hell of a difference. Mm. No, it, it does, like... And like it does, it all just comes down to the immune system. Are you, are you fueling your body for a healthy immune system or are you not? And it's looking at ways to boost your immune system for if anything ever comes your way. So not just COVID, but any other seasonal cold, flu, anything like that. Um, looking at what it is that you're putting into your body. Because again, like you said, 
or you mentioned like 50 years ago it's a different story and it was it was a completely different world that we were living in our foods our our crops our our animal products they weren't sprayed or given antibiotics or pesticides herbicides these chemicals unfortunately they just destroy our gut health like like glyphosate is it's a chemical it's pesticide sprayed on the majority of crops and what it's one unknown carcinogenic but two it's an endocrine disruptor so how endocrine disruptors are sorry yeah how endocrine disruptors or pesticides work should i say is that these sprays attack the reproductive organs directly sorry so pests organ uh, reproductive organs are directly attacked by these sprays and then the residues of that are, are left on the food and then we're consuming that food. So that's having a direct impact on our own reproductive organs. So that's why herbicides and pesticides, chemical ones um, or synthetic ones are massive endocrine disruptors, but they're also, they kill your, your gut microbiome. So it's looking at the quality of the foods that we are putting into us and even the quality of our everyday products, because when when I talk about external toxins and endocrine disruptors, it's not just the foods that we're putting in us, it's everything else around us too. So it's the skincare products that we use. It's for women, it's the sanitary products that they use, like the amount of chemicals that are in um, female health products is huge. And then a lot of women don't correlate the likes of having chronic UTIs or thrush from the likes of your the tampons that they're using because they're not using organic cotton tampons they're using the the mass the mass produced ones and I can understand why because as well at the end of the day at the end of the day these are products that are needed like when you have your period it, it, it's free flow or use something and like the organic ones they are a bit more expensive unfortunately but as well I just feel that it, it's a lot of the time around education too it's that knowing that these chemicals are having harmful effects on you um and i think once you you have that information like i always say knowledge is power and but on, on the flip side ignorance is bliss like if you don't know these things and you're blissfully unaware um but then when you do know it's it, when you have that knowledge then you can make the changes that's so that's actually told you and even tipping i suppose on what you said about the cycle men's cycle it's such a great topic even now like you know it's whatever you know they say 100 years ago to now like it's still such a gray area and one thing that probably that i'm really interested in is like when you look at like let's say fertility is an is epidemic as own but even like pcos is rising all these issues are rising so fast like you gotta kind of ask yourself like you know these have only rose in the last like 56 years kind of when the pill kind of was on the scene so there must be a link like because what the pill does you know like you know shuts off hormones so that can't be good in the long run and for me like personally what i believe is that that has it's having some sort of a knock-on effect Mm -hmm. no and it is and like when we talk about the pill so i forgot sorry i forgot there's a dog here and he just started snoring (laughs) so hear him snoring in the background i do apologize (laughs) um but yeah so like when i talk about the pill i know there's a it's it's not even that it's controversial it's just there's so much missing information for for people for women who are on the pill like I was put on the pill at how old was I I was 15 when I was put on the pill um and that was for my gynecological problem so I have endometriosis and so I was put on the pill to stop the progression of that and but also told that 
this is going to fix your your problems so I was like okay great go on the pill and it's going to fix everything and then as I got older and I did a bit of research was when I kind of first started in college and I decided that I wanted to come off the pill when I was 23 and I did and all my old problems came back every last one of them and if anything worse so the pill didn't fix it it stopped the progression of it but it never fixed it so in saying that I was grateful for being on the pill in my late teen early 20 years when I had my first serious relationship and I didn't get pregnant at the time because I was like I will come home and my mother will kill me if I'm 17 and land home and say I'm pregnant um so I was grateful for it at that time but at this looking back if I had known that it wasn't going to fix the problem would I have questioned going on it yes I would have um, it wasn't until I came off it and then I realized, okay, no, I have to look at the root of the problem here. I have to really see what's going on and, and fix the underlying cause. Now, when it comes to endometriosis and PCOS, there are many different underlying, underlying causes for it. But the biggest misconception is that when women go to the GP with uh, irregular periods, with dysmenorrhea, with menorrhagia, uh, any hormonal gynecological problem, or not so much kind of gynecological, but any period problems straight away, they're told we'll put you on the pill. It'll balance your hormones or for women who don't have periods who have amenorrhea, they're put on the pill to get your period back. But what they don't realize is that it's not your period. That's not a, a period. What you're having is a, is a pill bleed. And it, it's even just knowing that information that it, it's not, fixing the problem it's actually masking the problem because this these that steady stream of synthetic hormones that's what's kind of that that's what quote-unquote fixing it but once that steady stream of hormones synthetic hormones are gone you're reverting back to how you were before so it's what I always say to women who are coming off the pill I'm like be prepared for your periods to revert to how they were before because the underlying issue was never addressed it was just again it was that symptomatic treatment now, that's it's no disrespect to GPs and, and doctors out there. They're they're doing what they're taught. They they have been taught. Right. This is the problem. Loss of periods are heavy periods or painful periods or irregular periods. Here's the here's the fix the pill. So but it's they don't get taught to go into the to find the root, to find the, the beginning of the problem. That's when you're going into specialists, the likes of endocrinologists. Um, but unfortunately with the healthcare system that not just in Ireland, but worldwide, it's, it's too expensive to do that here. Here's the quick fix. Here's the pill, go on the pill. Um, and it's not then until women come off the pill to want to conceive who have had problems in the past and they realize, oh shit, something's wrong here. Okay. And then they're told, right, you have to go down the route of IVF. Uh, whereas knowing from the beginning if there is a problem then you'll know that something needs to be fixed whereas if a problem is masked for 5 10 15 years and then when the time comes to conceive and then you find out it's mm. you know that there's an awful lot of time lost unfortunately but again i'm not saying any of this in any disrespect because i always say doctors become doctors because they want to help people but it's the it's the methods that when they're taught you know something needs to change there I think that, yeah, I think that's so hard too, because the same as that, like, you know, doctors are only there, you know, they're there to serve, as you say, a kind of purpose, a kind of 
kind of they're kind of going between like they they solve all the issues to an extent, but then it's so hard then because you know the likes of you or some other amazing coach out there who specialize in like you know women and female hormones that are probably have a lot more knowledge because you know that's what we focus on. You know, it's hard for the average like Sally to come to us for advice because realistically in, in a person's eyes that a doctor is probably the, the ones that seem to you know fix all the issues but unfortunately doctors can only stretch so far like you know they're, they're not specialized in certain areas whereas you know like you would specialize in this you'd have have a lot more you know information on that particular area and i think that's just the, the issue is that doctors now have looked they've got so much workload they've got so much like different things yeah. that they can't like get through cause like they have to, as you say, follow what they've been taught. And then it makes it hard for the likes of you or anyone else in the area, because then people probably don't value you or what we say as much as they might be a GP, I suppose. And again, that's not disrespected Pete to um, doctors, but it's just the way it's gone, unfortunately, isn't it? Yeah. And like it, the, the one analogy, I was not even an analogy, but like when you're looking at GPs or general practitioners, so they, they cover general but then they do their referrals onto the consultants and it's 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 that that needs to be done more i feel is that if there is a um when there is period problems like refer on go to the send patients onto the gynae so that they can do further investigations instead of just doing the pill um but yeah it's it's unfortunately it's, like that there there are a lot of sick people out there and it, time and it's so easy for things to fall through the cracks and it's so understandable as well so it is um but yeah so like my wish would be for there to be um specific female health doctors for women so like as soon as something shows up that any period problem should be a red flag it shouldn't just be brushed aside as normal but that there can be a protocol to do further investigations for women so that once you know what's wrong then you can fix it that's why i love in these podcasts because the last one i've done like you know it helped a lot of people too it got some great feedback and even from my clients it just helped them so much because they're able to like actually reconsider what the pill is and i suppose the biggest question that has come in is that like i've got a lot of some clients there who've been the pill since they're like you know this say 15 and you know and they're on it because, you know, they're on it because one, it was kind of the birth control. It was like, it was up to, it was their job to not get pregnant, which is a whole different like conversation. Oh, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> it's shocking the way like it was all done. And obviously then when they had like, you know, regular periods or, or some acne, like they were told to, you know, go on the pill. And it's crazy. Like I've got clients who have come off the pill they've had bad acne and like I say, maybe don't get your protein up high enough, get some zinc and B12 and then their skin clears up like, because you know, it's, it's crazy like them smallest things. But I suppose the biggest thing is that when you have someone coming off the pill, let's say a mini pill, cause that's probably the most common one I've seen is a mini pill. What's the mm -hmm. protocol from someone that's been on it for 15 years, 16 years, wants to come off the pill and just get back to a normal, like her, their hormones back normal. And obviously all the rest, what would you suggest mm -hmm. vitamins and, whole thing i guess yeah see that's the thing there's there's a whole <clears throat> excuse me sorry there's a whole post pill protocol and especially with the mini pill because the mini pill is a progesterone only pill and so project the progestins so that's the synthetic form of progesterone the progestins that are used in the mini pill so there's four types of progesterone sorry there's there's four derivatives of progestins and three out of the four 
are derived from testosterone. So what we're seeing for women who are coming off the mini pill is that they're going to have this massive, massive androgen surge around months four to six after coming off the pill. So if anyone's been put on the pill for their skin, what you'll see is month four to six, there's going to be this big flare up. Uh, and that's because the androgen levels, the testosterone has just gone way too high. So it's looking at what you can do. Now, when we're looking at hormones, we have to go back to basics. So how are hormones working within the body? Are the message, the messenger, because hormones are chemical messengers that are sent throughout the body. Are the messengers, are they going to the right area? Um, is we have, like I talked to you about this in the last podcast before. So we have the HPA and the HPG axis. So the HPG axis is your hypothalamus, pituitary and gonadal axis. So that's your hypothalamus, pituitary gland and your ovaries. Is that working? Um, so if you come off the pill and your period doesn't come back, there's a glitch in the system there. When you come off the pill and it, your periods do come back, your natural cycle comes back, but then you're having the likes of breakouts, skin breakouts. We're looking at the, the body's way of actually breaking down those hormones. So there's excess hormones there. We're looking at the liver. Um, so the liver and the bowels, they are the two main ports of call when we're looking at skin health, especially hormonal skin health. Um, liver, gut, bowels, hormones. It's the liver that metabolizes hormones, but then it's your bowels that excretes them. So our liver, our, our liver is the general of the body. It's what, it's what um, detoxifies the body. It's not the only one, but it is the, it's the main organ of detoxification. And if that's a bit sluggish, which it usually is nowadays for a lot of women, because it's the liver that metabolizes not just your hormones, and it's not just your it's not just your, your reproductive hormones, but it's also your stress hormones and then our foods, the toxins that we are eating, the toxins that we're putting on our skin, um, alcohol, then all other medications. You know, it's the liver that metabolizes all these things. And then it's looking at bowel health. So you have to make sure that your bowels are functioning right, because when the liver metabolizes them, then it's the bowels that have to have to excrete them. So most, and you have to make sure that you do have a fiber rich diet to make sure that you are grabbing onto these excess hormones and toxins and that they're being pulled out of the body. If the liver and bowels are a little bit sluggish, what we tend to see a lot with women who have a lot of skin issues is there usually is a lot of um, bowel problems, bowel health. So a lot of constipation or IBS issues going from diarrhea to constipation. And it, yeah, you really have to make sure that the bowel health is, is, is working as best as it can. Um, so then looking at your gut, like your, your gut, gut microbiome or your gut, gut bacteria, um, your gut microbiome it is so important for the likes of one digestion, but two absorption. You have to make sure that you're absorbing your, your vitamins and minerals from your foods. Um, so it's, it is a whole kind of protocol, but looking at the likes of the easiest things that people can do is looking at your foods, looking at your plate the more colorful your plate is, the more antioxidants that you're getting in. And that's what we really need as well. Antioxidants are, are to reduce oxidative stress on the body. So the likes of your, your dark green leafy veg or cruciferous veg, these are the, the, the foods that are going to help with your liver detoxification pathways. So getting them in, then looking at all your purples and reds, they're what they're full of antioxidants again for the oxidative stress. And then like all your root veggies, your carrots, parsnips, sweet potato, turn up that's so rich in fiber and flavonoids so looking at your plate and literally try and get all the colors of the rainbow in every every day now 
I'm not saying to give up all the good tasty food because like we have to have balance in life as well like there is that rule out there the 80 20 rule I actually think 80 20 is still somewhat restrictive and I don't like restrictive diets uh, because I've done them all myself I had to do them in college um and I and I don't like them just because of how they can really impact your relationship with food so I say go 70 30 um so if you can make sure every day that you're getting one to two really good portions of greens into you getting a good portion of berries into you so blueberries raspberries things like that um then getting three portions of, of all your other veg and your root veggies in as well every day um that's kind of the main start and then looking at the quality of that food if you can get organic fantastic i know in ireland we we are very lucky with aldi and little they have a really good organic range um and so it's cheap um but then if you can't get organic trying to buy locally because usually what you'll find at the local farmers markets is that they're growing these veg themselves that they're not spraying them with roundup and roundup is is the main pest herbicide and pesticide out there which is just that's toxic for us um so yeah looking at those foods and then looking at where you can help with your your gut health so for men like probiotics are brilliant but i personally don't like long-term probiotics or long-term use of probiotics because it actually inhibits your body's own natural um production of good gut bacteria so what i say to people is to go on a course of probiotics for six to eight weeks and then remove them put in fermented foods instead so the likes of your kimchi and sauerkraut and you don't need a lot of them you just literally need a teaspoon of them a day and you're getting enough good gut bacteria in for your for your body's needs then um so then looking then at the likes of for people who have come off the pill or who are looking to come off the pill because the pill inhibits or absorption of certain vitamins and minerals you really do need to be supplementing for a good four months it takes anywhere from four to 18 months to um for your natural cycle to regulate but using certain vitamins and minerals will help so the likes of vitamin c because again it's really high in antioxidants um so any oxidative stress on the body that will really help as well as it's really good for adrenal adrenal health too um so vitamin c methylated b complex that's super important because the absorption is more than halved when you're on the pill of your b vitamins so a good methylated b complex and i always say a methylated complex because um there's five stages of methylation with your b vitamins when you're when you're taking them whereas the methylated version it, it's getting straight to it um and then your omegas are really important you need those essential fatty acids like for hormone health hormone production function and but also cognitive function and heart health too um unfortunately long-term use of the pill there it, it does show to have some impact on heart health um but there's definitely impacts on your gut health so there is there was a, a study done 2017 with 70,000 women um and the cases of ibs and ibd were through the roof on women who were on the pill so wow. it, it's yeah um it's it's the synthetic estradiol it's just so corrosive to the gut lining um so anyone who does have ibs symptoms ibd issues really looking at if you're on the pill long term is it something that you could maybe think about changing um and even just even just doing a little bit of research into it doing a little bit of reading on it um it once you see the effects it's it it's then just having the question in your mind of okay is this something that i want to continue with or is there an alternative instead 
And with the vitamins, is there a certain dose, would you say, if this is someone who wants to come off the pill today, is there a mm-hmm. certain dose of vitamins you take or how would you gauge it? Just like. Yeah. So again, it all depends on your brands. Um, so when I'm talking about vitamins and minerals, I'm not talking about the ones that you buy from the supermarket. Mm. You're literally throwing money down the drain, buying them. And if anything's in some cases causing more harm than good, just because the bulking agents are actually quite toxic as well. So looking at the good quality brands, I'm not sure about Nostradia if you have BioCare over there. Um, but the brands BioCare, Terra Nova, Altriant and Udo's would be my favorite ones. Also Nature's Plus. Um, I, I think you can get Nature's Plus in Australia. So that they that that's another brand that I would recommend. Um, dosing for the likes of your vitamin C, thousand milligrams a day. Um, for zinc, uh, for women who've come off the pill. Um Again, it's all very much person dependent or sorry, person dependent. It depends on if you if your cycle comes back naturally or not. If your cycle hasn't come back naturally, you're going to possibly have to up the zinc because we need studies show for optimum ovulatory function. You need about 30 milligrams. So we're you'd be looking around that, whereas with that's if you haven't got your cycle back. If you had had, if you have had your cycle come back, then looking at the the recommended daily allowance, which, which is 15, 15 to seventeen. Um, then with your with your B vits, like you don't want to overdo it with B vitamins um, because that can have toxic effects as well if your B twelve is too high. So what I would recommend is people actually getting their blood work done just to check what their levels are like, especially for the likes of your B vits and your irons or your ferritin get them checked first. If they are on the lower side of things, even if they're within range, but on the lower side of things, I'd be looking at supplementing it. And I suppose another probably question, when you come off the pill, then does your body, because obviously I know like, you know, for, well, obviously estrogen progesterone is so, even for like muscle building, for it's so important to have them natural hormones. But I suppose, can you kind of maybe top on, we kind of done it before, we got to maybe do a review, just quick chat on like, obviously, what the pill like stops you from doing in terms of muscle building, all that kind of stuff. But then also when you stop taking the pill, like will your body change? Will, you know, I know that, you know, fat stores shouldn't drop, but will your body change from not being the pill? And what are the benefits of coming off the pill in terms of, let's say you're lifting weight or you're doing all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, when you look at when you're on the pill, right, you're given a steady stream of synthetic hormones. So you're constantly, you're in this, constant fake quote-unquote fake luteal phase so your luteal phase is the the last phase of your cycle right before your period comes so it's between ovulation and menstruation when we're looking at the luteal phase say for if you want to do it in in body composition um for body composition purposes it's not the most optimum time for building muscle um because you don't have the surge in your estrogen and your testosterone right before ovulation. So right before ovulation, you do get these surges of estrogen testosterone. That's what that's what increases your libido as well. So what you'll find for women who aren't on the pill, it's like their their sex drive goes up right before ovulation, five days before ovulation. And um, that's because you're getting the the increase in estrogen and testosterone. But when you're on the pill, you're not getting these surges because the synthetic hormones is stopping the 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 release of your natural cycle um so when you do come off the pill what you may find because as well some pills the side effects of some pills are are waking um so you may and again 
very person dependent because it all does depend on if you have the likes of PCOS or endometriosis or PID or anything like that. Um, but if you don't, then you may see that your your weight may drop um, naturally itself. But you're, it, and again, like I said, it takes four to 18 months for your natural cycle to regulate. But once you say come off the pill, you're, you're getting the natural hormone surges and it's like estrogen is a natural appetite suppressant. Um, so that's why saying the first half of your cycle, you're not getting all these massive cravings and you're, you're not constantly eating all around you. Whereas in the second half of your cycle, um, it's your, your Eastern drops a bit, but your progesterone goes up and that's why you wouldn't tend to have, um, or that's why you would tend to have say more cravings, but also that kind of insatiable hunger, um, say right before your period. So it's those natural cycles are, are, are there for a reason. Um, then as well, your testosterone levels go up as I said earlier, right before you ovulate. Um, and it's testosterone that we need for building muscle. So for body composition, like you need those testosterone surges. Like women are meant to have testosterone, um, but we're just not meant to have it in excess levels. Then, and it's the same as men. Men are meant to have estrogen, just not in excess levels. But unfortunately, there, there are more estrogen dominant issues in men now, um, again, due to external toxins and environmental factors and all that. But it's when you're running when your body's running off its natural cycle, um, you're optimizing the the muscle growth, um, which as you know, better than anyone, Paul, the more muscle you have, the more calories you burn. It's all down to body composition. And as women, we don't have enough testosterone to become huge and bulky. Um, Cause I know that's a lot of women's big fear. And I'm like, trust me, it's not that easy to grow muscle naturally. It's not, I've been doing it for years and like it, it takes, months and months and months and months and months to build muscle and then you can lose it within four weeks well you start losing it within four weeks if you stop training it um but yeah it's there there are benefits when it comes to body composition when coming off the pill but in saying that i i still want to reiterate like i'd never tell a woman to come off the pill strictly for their body composition um it's, it's always a very person it's a, always a very personal choice to come off it because there's people have other factors in life um but like just birth control simply like and I, I do understand it but I, I feel that if women can make an informed decision then have at it but if you don't have all the information then I, I just think it's that's that's where there's the gap missing oh 100 I, I like how you touch about that um just with like you know it's crazy like again when I I only work I only work with women I've got one one lad and that's all I, I, I won't work with lads because they're just they're just too much hard work so that's why I love working with with women and females because I I just know I just I don't know I just I just I can work them really well. But that's so good we said about like you know the whole thing with low calorie diet nonsense. So much people do and what I've seen is crazy. I've seen a massive like I've got um, some amazing clients and I have some clients who are on the pill, some are not on the pill. And again, the ones who are not on the pill are the ones who you know they follow the same programs ones who are on the pill, but the ones who are not on the pill, you know they're in the gym they're smashed they're they're building more you know they're they're in the gym they're building more muscle and they're the ones that you know this for me i found that they they seem to get that results that little bit faster than the ones who are not on the pill and they're following the same process the same things and i can only put it down to as you were saying testosterone is that they, they get ladies who are not taking the pill are able to build that bit more muscle got natural hormones and because mm-hmm. of that like they're able to get the bmr up like a lot more higher naturally whereas 
the girls who are on the pill, they haven't got them hormones, testosterone. They're not doing the same. So what would your views be on that? I suppose in, did that make sense to you? Yeah, no, it does. hundred percent. Like I, I worked with a, a coach a few years ago and he designed a course directly around the female cycle. And I, I did that course and a number of other women did and half of us were on the pill and well I wasn't half half were on the pill half weren't but like that the people who weren't on the pill we did tend to see progress that bit quicker mm. and it, it to be honest it, it is and it's not fully down to it but it is a, a, a big contributing factor to it because you're not getting the natural surges of, of your hormones um, as in your testosterone, your estrogen and, and your progesterone. Um, then as well, unfortunately, when we're looking at the pill, it's the side effects of the pill. Like there's the, have you ever seen a pill packet, Paul? Yeah, have, yeah. have you ever seen the inserts, the the list of side effects that are on it? It's so vast. Um, but on, it is, it is it's crazy. Um, but some of the major some of the main side effects that we see is one weight gain, but two mood disorders. If your mood is down on the floor constantly and there's nothing you can do to shake it. Do you have any desire to really go to the gym and to really push yourself that bit harder? Like we've all had shit days where we've just been down and low and we've got up and we've gone to the gym, but it's just been a shit session and you come away and you still don't get that kind of hit just because it, it was just a shit session. We've all had them. But for a lot of women, when they have these massive mood disorders from being on the pill, because that is a side effect of the pill, it, it's very hard to get that. And I, I don't even want to get into the argument of motivation, if it's a real thing or not. But <laughs> when you're constantly chronically low, it's hard to get any motivation, even if it is doing the action and then you get the motivation. It's still hard when you're, when you are in this chronic low mood due to being on the pill. One thing that I've seen a lot with women is the first thing that they'll say is within a matter of days, it's like this cloud has just lifted and they're like, Oh my God, is this what it means to feel normal? And it's like, I feel like I can see clearly. I feel like I can understand things so much better and i'm like yeah it's like the, that foggy brain it's the pill brain um and that's something that's not talked about a lot a lot either well that's that's great that's the main question is like what does it feel like for you you know from being on the pill to coming off the pill? like what is because there's going to be so much people i know someone's clients who have that's all i've known from 14 to like 33 on the pill you know no different i tell them that mm-hmm. you know your sex drive is a bit low and actually my sex drive is fine but i suppose from your point of view what is it like that transition from no pill to then or from pill to have no pill what what changes and everything so much um for me i remember so when i was how old was i so i was 16 when i got into say my first real relationship and we were together for over three three i was yeah over three years i was 20 when we when we broke up but I remember having no sex drive, not enjoying it, didn't want it, nothing. And then when I was 23, I was 23 or 24, I came off the pill. And during that time as well, from 16 to 20, like when before, before that, I, I was misdiagnosed with um, clinical depression when I was 13. 
um and I was put on medication and I was on it for a couple of years but then I we did come off it because we discovered that it was actually a hormone imbalance that I had the likes of the endometriosis and I also have a thyroid problem so like there was always I would have always leaned a bit toward having a low mood then uh never correlating the fact that the pill could have been causing a lot of that low mood from 16 to 20 um because I was off say all, all the other medication um but when I came off it I was like just randomly happy um like happy to get up and go and get out and get stuff done and uh, to meet people to talk to people I would I would be very and you wouldn't think it because I'm on a podcast but I would lean towards being very much an introvert um but that was way worse back then I was afraid to talk to people whereas once I came off the pill that kind of changed and I was like I can actually have a conversation with people but the biggest factor that I saw two were one the type of men that I were that I was attracted to completely changed and I was like this is interesting and I did loads of research on that and it, it turns out again we are attracted to different types of men different phases of our cycle like in the first phase of our cycle in the uh, in your follicular phase when you're at your most fertile you're more attracted to that alpha male type and it's a genetic thing it's like the body wants the most gen- uh, genetically matched partner for you so that the your offspring has the best chance to survive um and then in the luteal phase you're actually more attracted to a caregiver someone who will provide for you and your child um so then when you're on the pill and you're in this chronic luteal phase you're attracted to i i I even hate saying like the alpha and the beta but it's that kind of scenario um so when i came off the pill i found that i the people i was attracted to was completely different um that my own hormones were actually now given like I was given off my own pheromones I was picking up on other people's pheromones um my libido went through the roof and I was I couldn't understand and I was like what the hell is this I have never felt anything like this before in my life and I had a, a great guy friend and he's still one of my best friends I love him to bits he's actually he actually lives in Australia um Clinton and I remember he was living here at the time and I was saying to him, I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but like, I'm, I'm walking around like a, I'm literally a walking hormone. And he was like, yeah, you came off the pill, didn't you? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, there you go. And it was a guy who had to say this to me. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this is interesting. And it was that that I was like, every woman needs to experience this, this that natural surge in your sex drive, that natural want and that natural attraction to someone of the opposite sex or, or whatever. Um, it's but that in itself is I just find it so fascinating like I remember as well a few years ago I was at I was at a talk and like the person doing the talk they I remember sitting there and I was like geez I'm quite attracted to this person and I don't know what's going on and so that'd be like about what five years ago I'd say and I was sitting there and I just found fascinating because I couldn't concentrate on what was going on and then I realized I was like oh shit I'm actually due to ovulate in a day or two and I was picking up on their pheromones and even those simple kind of interactions with random people around you it's to me I just find fascinating but that all happens when you're not taking synthetic hormones on a daily basis for so many years we're not really selling the pill here are we I know I'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) 
I know. I, I always say is like people do. <laughs> you either love me or hate me I'm Marmite or Vegemite or whatever because it's like but in saying that I'm always very much I would never tell someone to come off the pill because if it serves the purpose of birth control for them then stay on it if that's your best option because again the one thing about the pill is that yes for all the terrible side effects that there are it also did give women body autonomy you know uh, it gave us a choice on whether or not we wanted to conceive if we wanted to have kids there's a lot of women out there who don't want to have kids and that's okay that's an argument that like it still bothers me it's like people are always asking women oh you're next when you're going to have one why aren't you popping out any kids and it's like you know what one you don't know what's going on in someone's life and two some people just don't want kids and I say power to you if you don't want kids and you can own that then brilliant and then there's some women that I know that never wanted kids and then they changed their mind. And I was like, power to you. You have always got the permission to change your mind. A hundred percent. As far as even with that, um, even with like um, birth control, can you, do you know much about the FMA, the fertility? Um, Cause that's something that I'm fascinated as well. And cause I'm, mm. I, I, again, I haven't gone too much into, but what I've kind of learned so far is that there's only a certain window, you know, that you can kind of fall pregnant. Yeah. And I suppose you, you had to go through like how, with someone so let's say someone's gone off the pill they've had a boyfriend for a long time now they want to they want to be in control of you know to understand that when they they can you know kind of go through the process of not kind of falling yeah. pregnant yeah um yes because this is the ridiculous things that we're taught in school it's like you have sex you get pregnant they mm. don't teach you that you've only got a window of maybe six days like yeah. well you can only get pregnant on one day we only release one egg. Well, sometimes there's a fluke where two will be released, um, but that's not very often. Um, but we only release one egg. And if that egg isn't fertilized, you can't get pregnant. So why we say there's the window of six days is because sperm can survive in the reproductive tract for up to five days. So if you have unprotected sex five days before you ovulate, there's a chance that the sperm is still living there and it will fertilize the egg once the egg is released. But once your egg is released, you've only got a 12 to 24 hour window to fertilize it. And then you cannot get pregnant. So for women who are coming off the pill, who want to use natural methods. So what I use, it's called natural cycles. It's an app. The only reason I use natural cycles app is because you get a thermometer and you take your temperature every morning um, because your temperature will rise 0.3 to 0.6 of a degree once you've ovulated. Um, so that you're inputting the data then into the app. It's a quite a good app. Um, so I do recommend women use something along those lines, but then also getting to know your body. So your body will, you also have your cervical mucus. So when you're in your most fertile state, your cervical mucus, it's very much like egg whites. Now, I, I know you can't, you can't fully understand this, Paul, because you don't have a vagina basically um so you don't have these uh, mucus secretions but for women listening it's that it's keeping track of your mucus secretions so when you are most fertile it's egg white it looks like raw egg whites and it's stringy and you can pull it apart between your finger and thumb that's when your body is getting ready to release the egg because that type of mucus wants to grab onto the sperm and helps to helps to transport it to the egg um so looking at those things as well but for any woman who either wants to conceive or doesn't want to conceive, you, the main thing you need to know is when you ovulate. It's like that's, you have to know when you ovulate. I've had clients coming to me for fertility and 
they didn't know when they ovulated. And I was like, you don't need fertility treatment. You just need to know when you're ovulating. And after two, three months of tracking their cycles, they figured out when they were ovulating and then they planned their sex around that. And then they got pregnant. Uh, it's as simple as that. Like we're not taught those things in school, um, which we should be, uh, especially for conception. Um, so yeah, like you, there's a window of six days of being fertile, but you can only get pregnant on one day. How do you know you're ovulating? Can you feel inside your, can you feel the eggs bursting from your ovaries? Uh... Um, funnily enough, some women can. So there's what's called ovulation pain and you, you will get like a sharp twinge down in the lower, either left or right side of your, your abdomen. Not everyone experiences that though. Um, but really looking at the likes of your cervical mucus secretions, um, that egg white consistency, that's when you know you're coming up to the ovulation. And tracking your temperature and uh, once your temperature rises that 0.3 to 0.6 degree you have already ovulated also so when that so if you're tracking temperature every single day so let's say you have your period on let's say go for three days and let's say roughly then you know seven days after or 12 days then if you when your temperature rises then so just say if, it, if it's a certain temperature today and then rises tomorrow does that mean you ovulate on that day or before that day um it's usually right before it um so you, you're taking it every single morning it's called your base of body temperature you mm -hmm. have to take it before you get out of bed before you move before you do anything so that's your basal body temperature then you're taking that every single day when you have your period your temperature will rise a little bit um but then it'll come back down but your temperature won't be exactly the same every day but it will be maybe 0 0.01 of a degree in a difference on your average day but then it's when it goes to that 0 0.3 to 0 0.6 that's when you know that you you have ovulated and your temperature rises because your progesterone is starting to rise um when we're looking at other ways of knowing that you have ovulated again it it's usually because as well there's also that myth, Paul, that you ovulate on day 14. It, it is a complete myth. Every, every woman ovulates at a different time. So I would typically have a 27 to 29 day cycle. So it could change any month. Um, typically what people would say then, if you have a 28 day cycle, you'll ovulate on day 14. I don't. I ovulate on day nine. I ovulate very early. So if I thought that if I was looking to conceive and I was waiting for day 14 sure my window was gone and and I never know you know so it, it's that's why ovulation is so important the amount of women I know who have who could only ever get pregnant while they were on their period because they ovulate so early is huge and people don't realize that I suppose again probably go back to what you just said but how do you know so how so let's say someone's come off the pill and they're having sex with their partner whatever it may be and let's say then how do they actually know then like find the actual pinpoint window of obviously when ovulation is and stuff and not to obviously you know have sex in a certain time yeah so again the likes of the the natural cycles app because you're tracking everything the data is going into the app and that app then will give you say your safe days or your non-safe days oh, right. um that app is actually 99.8 percent effective when used right yeah so it's right up there with the pill um, when used right so using the likes of those tracker apps they are really beneficial for that um, 
when you come off the pill, you really have to give yourself a good six months of tracking your cycle. And um, because then you're, you get to know your body, you'll, you get used to the different feelings within the body, even the change in mood. Cause what we would tend to see as well is that after ovulation, sometimes that your mood can dip. So it, it's tracking so many different things, but your main things are your temperature and your cervical mucus. Oh, amazing. So, so generally speaking, when you, when if, when a woman like has her period, say a quick one for one to three or four, five days. So then mm-hmm. after that, after they stop bleed, just say, then how many days roughly are like, is it then you say five days before your, so what would you say roughly after your stopping period? When is the safe and not safe days? I, got, I actually can't say that. And no one can actually say that because unless okay. you know when you ovulate, because if we're looking at say the traditional thinking around it all. Um, so again, I'm just speaking from my own perspective or my own point of view. So I would, I'd menstruate for five to seven days. And so my period would finish day six, day seven. Then I just me personally would tend to ovulate around day nine or 10. So for me, it's two, three days after my period is finished. Um, Whereas it technically should be seven days if you're going by that information that you've been given. But like that, every woman's body is different and we all do ovulate at different times. So you can't actually say for definite, oh, your period finishes on day five, five days later, you're going to ovulate or seven days later, you're going to ovulate. It's all very, very person dependent. It's pretty interesting. It's it's even good to hear from your point of view. I suppose just kind of finishing off on the pill then, what is the, the, like the stats are like of someone, you know, getting, you know, post pill MRE or post pill PCOS, mm-hmm. is that something that's high in the ranks as well? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's something that I'm seeing quite a lot of in clinic. And so yeah, post pill amenorrhea, post pill PCOS, they, they are very real um, issues at the moment, unfortunately. And again, it, it is just, giving your body that chance to regulate again so and like i always said it it takes four to 18 months for your cycle to to regulate um post pill then if you do if you are someone who has uh, amenorrhea be it from the pill or from uh excessive stress then it's what you what we're really looking for is five consecutive periods in a row before you can say that you've been cured of amenorrhea Mm. that's amazing and I suppose even you were talking about thyroid and PCOS there before. Mm. One thing that I'm kind of really um, starting to understand is that so many like coaches out there will try to put people on like stupid low calorie diets and restrict their calories. Whereas to me, I really believe that it should be the, the opposite way around. Like it should be rather than trying to restrict someone's calories, how about you look at, well, how can we get this person to actually burn, like raise their being more? And that's something mm. that I, I find like it just it just makes more sense it's rather than restricting like Sally's calories too low because she's PCOS. How about like help her understand how to you know let's say gain a bit some muscle or kind of get stronger? And because the more muscle someone can have means that the being more then can rise naturally. You know even if mm-hmm. you've got thyroid issues, it's the same principle. Like if you can manipulate the system and then have your body be more up higher, that to mm-hmm. me is far more sustainable than these low calorie like nonsense diets. Yeah, well, the low calorie diets, unfortunately, they, they just have detrimental effects on people's overall health, but also their their relationship with food. Um, it just kills people's relationships with food. I, I've been put on the years ago when I first started training. I remember being put on massive calorie restrictive diets. Now, I was 
competing and I had to make weight and, and all that. But prior to that, I had already had a really negative relationship with food. I had, I suffered with anorexia for a good six years as a teenager. Um, and I ended up going back into that cycle. So these massive calorie restrictive diets, they're just, they're detrimental to people's health. But when we're looking at people who have PCOS and hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's, like putting them on a calorie restrictive diet is, is no good. It, it, yes, calories in versus calories out and eat less and move more. That works for someone who doesn't have a hormonal condition that affects their metabolism directly, especially with the thyroid. Your thyroid is what controls your metabolism. So you can't just keep dropping someone's calories constantly because it's not going to work. You have to look at really supporting the metabolism and looking at the likes of reverse dieting and having to go through that process of building up the metabolism again through reverse dieting. You know yourself how to do it. It, Small increments in calories over time while doing weight training. That's what's going to lift. uh, That's what's going to raise your metabolism so that you can burn more fat um but as well like looking at the likes of pcos there's four different types of pcos but what we see the main type that we see is the insulin resistance pcos and straight away what we're looking at there is right you actually have to look at the way that your body is is releasing insulin how it's coping with your your glucose how how it is that you're reacting to your carbohydrates and again i'm not into restrictive diets but there is a caveat with certain conditions we do have to look at the way that we're eating our foods the type of foods that we're eating and then the food combining as well um so your carbohydrates there's nothing nothing wrong with carbohydrates nothing at all but for someone who is insulin resistant it's we have to look at that differently um it's the same as someone i could two of us could be sitting here. You start eating a pack of nuts. You're fine. I start eating a pack of nuts. I die. I'm allergic to nuts. Mm. You know, it's it, there is no good or bad food. It's just down to someone's constitution. Now, what I would say to people with insulin resistant PCOS is I wouldn't be looking at cutting out all carbs because we need carbs. We need carbs for energy and specifically even for ovulation as well. And for women with PCOS, the problem is, is that they're not ovulating consistently. Um, And that in itself has its own issues with low progesterone um so then it's it's looking at the type of carbs that you're having and the timing of having them and making sure that your blood sugar levels are balanced um so the likes of your your processed white breads your white pasta white rice um your potatoes there's nothing wrong with them but it's the amount that you're having and what other foods that you're pairing it with. So when you are having carbohydrates, you do have to make sure that you're having a fat with it. Um, and then looking at just better quality carbohydrates instead. So the likes of looking at like a low GI diet with the low GI, it is still a bit restrictive, um, but it's not to say that you can't have parsnips, uh, sweet potato, potatoes in small amounts, um, but it is just in very small amounts yeah like i found my clients are trying to have the carbs around act like just before and after the gym because you have that window yeah. of insulin res- uh, sensitivity but i think the yeah. biggest thing here for me is like it just so much people like aren't willing to like spend the time on like doing the process like 
they'd come like I've seen this at the come trigger results in like eight weeks where I have a client recently, Daniela, and she had peace with insulin resistant and Daniela was with me for oh god about 14 months. But like she just followed the whole process and she came at the end of that 40 months and she basically reversed everything, like everything was near enough, like gone. She fell pregnant, into resistance, insulin sent, uh, resistance kind of nearly went away. Everything was just reversed because done the process, done the natural stuff, and just slowly and just and she was at a stage where her food was, let's say, it might have went to like 14, 50, because it was quite small. But then when she left me after 40 months, it was well over like 2,500, 600 calories. Mm-hmm. She was absolutely killing it. But unfortunately, so much people like and so even so much coaches they'll they'll get a client a bad piece of us, Google it, and then Google say to you, your BMR will be dropped by 40%. And every kind of coach seems to go down this route of just like restricting calories, and it's just bonkers, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. And it's, it, it, the, you have to look at the person as a whole, you know, mm. and looking at not just the, the BMR, but also how is the body coping with certain foods and what is it that you can do to help to change that? And then looking at reverse dieting to get the calories up, because especially for PCOS, like I said, one of the main problems is that you're not ovulating and women need to ovulate. Mm. Like our, a sign of a healthy cycle is ovulation. So if you're not ovulating, there's something wrong and we need to get you ovulating. And it's it's food that does that as well. Like I said earlier, let food be that medicine and medicine be that food. Carbo- carbohydrates are so important for ovulation. But for someone who has PCOS, we have to look at the type and the timing. And like you said, the right before and after the gym, that they are your best times. Um, and looking at the quality of your carbs. That was an absolutely amazing podcast. And again, so much valuable information. As I said for the very start, this is going to split up into two halves, so part two will be out in the next couple of weeks. I really hope you enjoy this podcast and I hope that you know it's given you a lot of information there you can take on with you after this. As I said before, if it's been helpful, please share and any questions, please let me know. Thank you and chat soon.